done a sound check prior to going live, but it looks like we've got good sound levels, so we should be good. All right, welcome to Thursday night Bible study. Tonight is our last lesson of this of this entire 18-week series, and so uh, in honor of that, we got a little bit of uh, Berkman's Bakery goods, turtle cake, turtle, turtle cake, mm -hmm. and some emoji cookies for the kids. Mm. Nice big mm -hmm. yellow cookies. So we appreciate you all coming through this journey with us, and you online, we appreciate all of you that have followed along on this 18-week journey. It's a big commitment. Um, I know when we start them, you typically about every year-ish, um, I sit down looking at it from the other side going, it's a daunting task to push through 18 weeks, and I've done it enough times to know that it's kind of tough sometimes to keep everything corralled and <clears throat> to keep everything on track because everybody has so much stuff going on. But um, so we've had a lot happen in the news in this last 18 weeks. We've seen attacks in the nation of Israel. Now we're, we are attacking targets up and down the Euphrates River and um, targets of... Uh, Maybe not necessarily near the Euphrates River, not in that close proximity, but nonetheless targets that are Iran-backed, which is part of the Euphrates River. So there's been a lot going on in this 18 weeks, and typically that's a pretty common thing. You can't hardly go 18 weeks without some pretty ma major news developments. So um, uh, we are now, I guess you'd say, in the early stages of our election cycle for November. And uh, we were just discussing that they have taken Trump off the ballot in Illinois. Now, um, they're even saying that if you write Trump's name in, that uh, they will suppress that vote and not count it. I'm not sure how that's... Well, it's not legal. It's not constitutional. Um, Trump has been convicted of nothing. He's been charged with nothing that would keep him off the ballot. So it's interesting. Um, several people are talking about pushing a lawsuit against the state of Illinois to stop that. And I'm sure that that will happen um, to some degree. There's enough citizens of the state of Illinois that would vote for Trump. Um, I don't think our government should be suppressing anybody's vote. But our government has been having the mindset of ignoring the Constitution now when it feels like it and ignoring what the Supreme Court asks them to, or directs them to do. Um, you know, one of the things that I'll mention is Revelation talks about this end-time government beast being a scarlet-colored beast. And we know from other lessons that we did earlier on that the scarlet-colored means communist or communism, that type of um, rule. And you can see the one-world government, especially... Um, the EU going in that socialist direction heavily, going in the socialist direction. It's no surprise. The surprising part is that the United States is still going down that road. We're going to break off at some point and head the other direction, but um, I don't know how far down this road we're going to go. But 
you can see that this deep state is not wanting to turn loose of power. And one of the things that comes to my mind, I don't remember if I mentioned this last, last week or not, um, but it's been on my mind the past few days. I remember a hot mic or something of Hillary Clinton back when she was running against Trump. And she said, if Trump gets elected, we're all going to jail. So, and I would say probably deservedly so, but um, that just gives you a mindset. They're not going to hand over control very, just willfully. They're going to they're do everything they can to stop what is, as of now, coming. They're going to do everything they can to stop it and stop this um, pop national, nationalist populist movement that's sweeping through the country. They're doing a very good job of stopping that movement in Europe. Um, Canada and Europe, they're doing a very good job. Their constitutions aren't set like ours. So our country is simply ignoring the constitution to do what they want. And I believe that's also probably part of their mindset with the illegal immigration that we're seeing at the southern border and several million people coming in um, I'd say it's going to be to do what they can to overthrow our Constitution. They're, they have to. They have to get rid of it. They have to change it or overthrow it. And I think this um, immigration, illegal immigration thing is a part of that in some manner or form. Anyway, we're going to go to tonight's lesson. That really has nothing to do with tonight's lesson. Well, we can talk about that on the other side. Y'all have anything before we start? So the last, in the last three weeks, we did a little bit of a transition and we've gone into what end time ministries would call the salvation package. And it starts with understanding the Godhead, a very foundational key lesson. If you've missed that lesson, go back and watch it. It's week, it's lesson um, 15. Go back about three weeks and watch understanding the Godhead. It's crucial. And then we followed it up with, and I, and I haven't told you this yet, we followed it up immediately with true Christianity versus false Christianity. Matthew 7 talks about the majority of Christians, people that consider themselves Christians, are not going to make it to heaven. So we want to know that we are truly saved. And so we wanted, we wanted to dig into Scripture, and we, we did that in... True Christianity versus false Christianity to determine what that difference is. And so we tackled that. And then we followed it up last week with then born again the three steps. The third step we'll cover in more depth tonight. But what I wanted to say was true Christianity versus false Christianity was a night that you guys weren't here and I did it from our studio. Yeah, we watched that one. That was and the audio was horrible <clears throat> on my part, the my part of it. Having said that, it sparked some guy that was Catholic, came on, or at least he appears to be Catholic, and just started defending everything Catholic and started going against that video. Well, that video is nothing but truth. It's backed up with a ton of scripture. Did he back up with scripture? He backed up nothing with scripture. In fact, when people were asking him in the discussion on YouTube, um, and so this was, we put it out there on multiple platforms, this was on our YouTube platform. Um, <clears throat> he couldn't. 
he wouldn't even answer their question, um, much less back anything up with scripture. Mm -hmm. But it caused such a stir and a bunch of comments that it ran our plays up. It must have done something with the algorithm where YouTube was saying, hey, this video is getting some discussion, and they promoted it a little bit. So it got a little higher number of plays than normal, which I think is fantastic. That's a very good video, do get it? Yep. That's a yeah, good one. It's, an, it's an insanely good video. If you haven't seen True Christianity versus False Christianity, go back and watch it. It's lesson number 16, two weeks ago. So tonight, we're going to finish it up, and um, this will be the end of our 18-week series. And tonight is the last final step of um, the born-again plan, and it's called uh, Receiving the Holy Ghost. And we're going to go ahead and start it on our end, and then um, online we will catch you um, on the other side. Four of our salvation package. It's the blessing four of our salvation package. The name of our lesson today is Receiving the Holy Ghost. Receiving the Holy Ghost is step three of being born again. The Apostle Peter talked about being born again in the book of Acts, chapter 2. This was the first day of the founding of the New Testament church. And the people had asked, what should we do to be saved? Peter's reply was this, one, repent, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. This is found in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. So Peter told them to repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. In another passage in the Bible, it says, Arise and be baptized, and wash away thy sin. So repentance and baptism is to cleanse us from sin so that we're prepared to receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit. An easy way to understand this is when a person is canning, they'll wash a jar with soap and water. That gets it clean, sterilized, so that it can receive the substance that's going to be placed in it. If the jar is not fully clean, if there's contamination there, then after a while on the shelf, that contamination is going to show up and it's going to ruin what's inside. So the Bible says, repent and be baptized for the remission of sin or for the washing away of sin, and that prepares you for receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. And as you can see here, we've already talked about repentance and baptism in our last lesson. Now we're talking about step three of being born again, and that is the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Now, why is receiving the Holy Ghost so important? We know that everything from Adam until Jesus Christ was leading up to the time when human beings like you and me can be infilled with the Spirit of Jesus Christ called the Holy Ghost. We're going to look at some of the reasons why the Holy Ghost is so important in each of our lives. In Colossians chapter number 1, verse number 26 and 27, it states this, Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. Notice, 
This mystery has been hidden on purpose from ages, from generations. But now this wonderful mystery is made manifest to us, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. Now he's getting ready to reveal the mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The mystery is that God was going to take his Holy Spirit and put it inside of us. And the Holy Spirit is nothing but Jesus in us, which is Christ in you. And that is the hope of glory. Now, notice a couple of things here before we go on. The mystery was hidden from the ages. And the mystery is Christ can now be in each of us. Jesus comes to live inside of us when we receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Jesus said, now I'm with you. I shall be in you. Matter of fact, that's our next verse, John 14, 16. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. Notice how mysterious this is. First of all, he calls it the mystery, the hope of glory. Now then he says, I pray the Father, he'll send you another comforter, and he will abide with you forever. And then he says, whom the world cannot receive because the world seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But watch this. But you know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Jesus is standing before his disciples. And he says, you know who he is. I'm with you right now. But I'm going to be in you in another form. When I fill you with my spirit, called the Holy Ghost, that will be Christ in you, the hope of glory. So the Holy Ghost is simply Jesus living in us. He said, I'm with you now, but I'm going away. But when I go away, I won't leave you alone. I'm going to come unto you. Now I'm with you, but I'm going to be in you in spirit form. Again, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now receiving the Holy Ghost does more. It restores us to the original state lost by Adam and Eve. Galatians 4, verse 4 through 7 tells us this, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Now we know that sonship was lost by Adam and Eve way back there in the garden, 4,000 years before Christ. We know that through their disobedience, they lost sonship, and you do not see another human son of God for the next 4,000 years until Jesus Christ came to, to this earth. But when he came, he not only was a son of God, and through his obedience, he reversed all the damage done by the first Adam's disobedience. But beyond that, he made a plan whereby all of us could become sons of God again 
And that plan is called being born again. And the third step to being born again is when he sends forth his spirit into our hearts and making us cry, Abba, Father. When we cry, Father, that means we are now a son. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but now you are a son of God. When we are born again, when we go through the three steps of being born again, repentance, baptism, and the infill of the Holy Ghost, that's when we become a son of God. And the filling of the Holy Ghost is the capstone of the entire experience. Jesus once again said, now I'm with you, but I shall be in you. Another thing the Holy Ghost does and makes it so important, the Holy Ghost is the resurrection power. Romans 8, 11 tells us that if we have the Holy Ghost, we will be resurrected at the second coming of Christ. Let's read it. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. So the Holy Ghost is the resurrection power. That is the power that when that last trumpet sounds, when Jesus comes back to the earth, it will change us from mortal beings to immortal beings, and then we will be, we will be caught up to meet Jesus Christ in the air. Now, that's by no means not all the Holy Ghost is sent to do, but those are some of the critical things. Now then, let's look at how we receive the Holy Ghost. The examples of receiving the Holy Ghost are found in Acts chapter number 2, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 19, Acts chapter 8. These are recorded in the Acts of the Apostles. Now, the books of Acts is very important. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John records the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. But the book of Acts of the Apostles means the actions of the apostles. It's the history book of how ordinary men like you and me took the teachings of Jesus Christ that they had received and then put them into practice. It's the history book of the founding of the New Testament church. And much of this book deals with people receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. The first account is found in Acts chapter number 2. Now remember, Jesus led his disciples out to the Mount of Olives. He told them, go back to Jerusalem and stay there until you're endued with power from on high. So Jesus then left the ground, went into the sky, and the disciples returned back to Jerusalem to wait for this power. Now remember that Jesus was crucified exactly on preparation day, the day before Pentecost, the day before the Passover. This was all planned out by God. Jesus was to be the Passover lamb. Therefore, he had to be crucified the day before Passover because that's when the Jews crucified the, or killed the lamb every year for their Passover sacrifice. They killed the lamb on preparation day, and the next day was the Passover. Then 50 days after Passover, there was a day called the day of Pentecost. Pentecost means 50th. And on the day of Pentecost, that was the time of harvest all throughout the Old Testament. So Jesus was killed on preparation day to become the Passover lamb. 
And then 50 days later, the harvest of his ministry comes sweeping in. It starts in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire. And it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. Now notice two things. Number one, they were with one accord in one place. When you receive the Holy Ghost, you'll have your mind on Jesus. You won't be washing the car and doing the dishes and paying the bills but you're going to have your mind on Him. You'll begin to worship Him and praise Him. And as you are in that one accord in one place, that's when the Holy Ghost will come to you. That's what happened to them. They were with one accord in one place. And when the Holy Ghost came, they began to speak with other languages supernaturally as the Spirit of God gave them the utterance. Well, let's see what else happened. Verse 5 through 8. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together, and they were confounded, because that every man heard them speak in their own language. Now let's pause a moment. These people had gathered into Jerusalem for the observance of the Feast of Pentecost. There were three major Jewish when God instructed the Jewish people three times a year, you are to come to Jerusalem and you are to come there to observe these feasts. The first was Passover. The second was Pentecost. The third was the Feast of Tabernacles. So because this was the observance of one of the three most important feasts, there were people there from all over the world. And the Bible says that they now heard every man speak in his own language. Continuing on, and they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? We do hear them speak in our languages the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. Now, there's a very interesting thing here. In the Old Testament, in the wilderness, the Jews were given two things to eat, quail and manna. The manna came in the morning, the quail came in the evening. And when the manna fell, now this was for 40 years in the wilderness, this sustained the people of Israel. When the manna fell, it contained everything they needed to go along with the meat, the quail that they were receiving. And when the manna failed, the children of Israel had never seen it before. And so they called it manna because manna means, what is it? Well, the Old Testament manna is a New Testament, is a type of the New Testament Holy Ghost. The Bible says that we that worship the Father must worship Him in spirit and in truth. The manna was a type of the spirit. The quail was a type of the truth. So when the manna fell, they said, what is it? When the Holy Ghost fell, guess what they said? What meaneth this? 
And of course, there were others mocking that said these men are full of new wine. You know, anytime you have a move of God, you'll have two kinds of people. You'll have the sincere seekers, and then you'll have the mockers. If you're a sincere seeker, don't be turned aside by the mockers that are always there in the crowd. Okay, now, so they said, what meaneth this? Well, Peter's going to answer now. Peter, standing up with 11, this is verse 14 of chapter 2, lifted up his voice and said unto them, You men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words, for these are not drunken. Remember somebody said these are drunk upon new wine and they were mocking. But Peter said these are not drunken as you suppose, seeing that it is but the third hour of the day. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. It's too early for people to be drunk. But this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, and on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, saith the Lord. So there was an Old Testament prophecy about the Holy Ghost that would come someday. It's found in Joel chapter 2, verse 28 and 29. The apostle Peter, he, he quoted the passage. He said, this is that. What you read about for the last 500 years from the book of Joel that you never was able to receive, now it's here and it's being poured out today. This is that that was spoken of by the prophet Joel. So that's the first account we have of the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Now let's look at the second account. This account is found in Acts chapter number 10. This account is different because... This is when the Gentiles first received the Holy Ghost. Up till this time, the apostles were instructed, you only preach to Jews. Salvation is of the Jews. However, God intended to take the Holy Ghost to the Gentiles. Let me back up just a moment and tell you what happened. Peter was in the house of one uh, Simon the Tanner in Joppa, and he was there uh, living for a short while. Well, he became hungry, and while the ladies were fixing dinner, he decided to go up and to pray a while. Well, as he's praying, he had a vision. He saw a sheet come down in front of him, and it was filled with things that Jews were not supposed to eat, catfish, shrimp, uh, uh, ham sandwiches, whatever. And the voice spoke to him and said, Peter, arise, slay, and eat. Well, Peter said, not so, Lord. I'm Jewish. Nothing common or unclean has ever come into my mouth. And the sheet lifted up. In a few minutes, here it comes again. Again, filled with all these things that Jews were not supposed to eat. And the Lord said to Peter, arise, lay, and eat. And again, Peter protested, no, Lord. Nothing common nor unclean has ever entered into my mouth. Well, it happened the third time. The sheet came down this time, and again the Lord said, Peter, arise, slay, and eat. And again Peter protested, but this time the Lord said to him, What God has cleansed, call thou not common nor unclean. 
there are three men at the gate waiting for you. Go with them, doubting nothing. Well, when Peter went downstairs, how many men were at the gate? Three. But they were Gentiles. Peter went with them, but Peter, realizing that he was going into uncharted waters, took some of the other Jews with him to sort of protect his back because he was getting ready to go preach the gospel of the Gentiles and there were going to be a lot of Jews very upset about this. So he goes to the Gentiles. Now what had happened was there was a man by the name of Cornelius who was hungry for God and he prayed, he gave alms, he fasted and he was on a three or four day fast at this particular time and an angel appeared to him and said, send for one Simon Peter, he's in the house of Simon the Tanner, down by the seaside, and he will bring you words whereby you may be saved and thine house. Now Cornelius had prayed down an angel, but he still wasn't saved yet. So now then Peter goes with the servants of Cornelius to his house, and Cornelius had gathered together all of his household, his relatives, God is sending us a messenger, he'll tell us how to be saved. So now then we see Peter preaching the kingdom of God before Cornelius and his household. And while he's preaching about Jesus Christ, here's where we pick it up, verse 44 of Acts 10. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word, and they of the circumcision, the Jews that came with Peter, which believed, were astonished, as many as came with Peter because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. So how did the the Jews know that the Gentiles had received the Holy Ghost? Because the same thing happened to the Gentiles that had happened to them a few years prior on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Ghost fell on them and they knew they received it for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Now that's not the end of the story. Some people say, well, they received the Holy Ghost. So what about the other two steps of being born again? I suppose it doesn't really matter whether you're baptized or not. That's not according to the apostle Peter. Let's look what happens now in verse 47 of Acts 10. Then answered Peter, can any man forbid water? that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we. I mean, if they've received the Holy Ghost, they need to be baptized. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. Now it's interesting that in this case, the Holy Ghost was poured out before baptism. However, they still needed to be baptized. And then notice, Peter commanded them. He didn't suggest to them. He told them, you need to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And they were. There's another account of the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. And this one is different yet. It's found in Acts chapter 19. Starting with verse 1. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus And finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Let me pause there a moment. Some people say, well, if you believe on Jesus Christ, you should just accept that's when you receive the Holy Ghost. But the Apostle Paul apparently didn't believe that. 
because he asked the question, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, we've not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. The apostle Paul thought, well, if if you don't know about the Holy Ghost, you probably don't even know how to be baptized correctly. So he said unto them, unto what then were you baptized? And they said, well, unto John's baptism. So they had believed, but they hadn't received the Holy Ghost. They had been baptized, but they had not been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, let's see what happened next. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. So even though they had been baptized, they had not been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And why is that important? Because the Bible says as many have, as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. The Bible says as many as have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into His death. So when you're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, that's when His death pays your sin bill. You owe the bill but he didn't want you to have to pay it. So he died in your place. He didn't know the bill. He was sinless. But he died in your place and you gain that wonderful benefit by being baptized in his name. When you're baptized in his name, your sin bill is marked paid in full because he died in your place and you don't know it anymore. You go into that water owing the bill of sin, which is death, but you come out of that water paid in full, and you don't owe that bill anymore. So you pass from death into eternal life. So they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and when Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and the same thing happened to them that happened to the Gentiles in chapter 10, happened to the apostles in chapter 2. When the Holy Ghost came on them, they spake with tongues, and they prophesied. Now, there's one more account of being born again, the outpouring of the Holy Ghost that I want us to see. And this one happens a little different way. But when it's all said and done, they really all happen the same way. When it's all said and done, there are three elements to being born again. Death, burial, resurrection. The spiritual death is repentance. The spiritual burial is baptism. The spiritual resurrection is the gift of the Holy Ghost. But let's notice Acts chapter number 8. Verse number 12, we're down at Samaria now. And the Bible says, When they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized. So they heard Philip preaching about Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God, and undoubtedly he told them, In order to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born again. And they asked, What do you mean born again? And he talked to them about repentance and baptism and the infill of the Holy Ghost. So they believed, and the Bible says they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also. Now, Simon was a sorcerer, and he's watching these huge crowds, and he's also listening to the preaching of Philip. Simon believed also, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles 
and the signs that were done. So notice all of these people at Samaria, they have now been baptized. However, verse number 14 tells us, Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was falling upon none of them. Now they had believed, they had been baptized, but they hadn't received the Holy Ghost. Notice what it says, I want to read it again. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So they had repented, they had been baptized, but they had not received the Holy Ghost. Question, how did they know they had not received the Holy Ghost? It's pretty obvious because they had not yet spoken with tongues, right? Because that was the sign that God gave that the Holy Ghost had come into their life. Now let's watch what happened next. Verse 17. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw, now here's Simon the sorcerer, when he saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay hands, they may receive the Holy Ghost. Now Simon wanted to turn religion into a money-making proposition. And so he said, oh, I want to lay my hands on people. And when I lay my hands on them, they'll begin to speak with other tongues. He saw them speak with tongues. It doesn't specifically say in this passage that they spake with tongues. But by now, the Holy Ghost had fallen on so many thousands of people and all of them spake with tongues that they didn't bother to say they received the Holy Ghost and spake with tongues here. It just says that, uh, first of all, they hadn't received the Holy Ghost and they knew because they hadn't yet spoken in tongues. And then... The apostles laid their hands on them, and they did uh, speak with tongues. You say, well, why didn't it specifically say it? Well, if you go to the store to buy a pair of shoes, if I go there, and I say to the store clerk, I want a pair of shoes, and don't forget the tongues of the shoes, uh, that would be foolish because we all know that uh, any lace-up man's shoe comes with the tongue of the shoe, and I wouldn't say, uh, give me the shoe, and I also want the tongues. Uh, this had become so commonplace by then in every other account where the people received the Holy Ghost, they spake with tongues. In this account, they also spake with tongues because they knew they didn't have it and now they did have it. And even Simon uh, was able to see that they received the Holy Ghost. It wasn't a case of spiritual discernment. He was able to see when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given. He said, hey, I'll give you money if you'll give me the power to do that. And he intended to charge the people $50 a piece or whatever so that they could receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now then, let's consider what does the Holy Ghost do for us? It's important for us to understand. Well, the Holy Ghost, number one, is our source of power. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, before Jesus left the earth, the last thing he said to his disciples he said, but you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. So the Holy Ghost is our source of power. And you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost parts of the earth. So not only does the Holy Ghost give power, but it empowers us to witness. 
You can understand this this way. We know that John said, there's one coming after me who will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. The Holy Ghost and fire is like gasoline and fire in your automobile. It takes fuel and it takes the spark to ignite the explosion that produces the power. Well, that's the same way here. Uh, John said, the one coming after me is mightier than I. He will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, and that's going to be the source of your power. Notice in Zechariah 4, 6, Zechariah was prophesying to Zerubbabel, who was leading the rebuilding of the temple. This would be the second temple, and undoubtedly it was a daunting task. Perhaps Zerubbabel at this time was a little discouraged, and Zechariah in Zechariah 4, 6 prophesied Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. You may say, I don't think I can live the Christian life. You can't. You're going to need the power of the Holy Ghost. When you receive the power of the Holy Ghost and it becomes operational in your life, you will have power to do things that you have not been able to do before receiving the Holy Ghost. Remember, the Holy Ghost is the key to power. Now, beyond that, the Bible teaches us that the Holy Ghost edifies us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 2 and verse 4, it states there, For he that speaks in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. Now, this is important to understand because this speaking with tongues is sometimes very confusing to people because it is supernatural. And a lot of people say, well, the only reason they spoke in tongues in Acts chapter 2 was to communicate the gospel. Well, the Bible does say in Acts chapter 2 that the people present were able to understand them speaking the wonderful works of God, but they still needed to be preached to in their own language, and Peter did go ahead and preach a sermon in his own language to the people that were there that could understand. However, notice this passage. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men. The principal purpose for speaking with tongues is not to speak to men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him. Howbeit, in the Spirit he speaketh mystery. So when a person is speaking with tongues, he is speaking mysteries unto God. It's a private communication between that person and God. And then it goes on to say, he that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifies himself. The word edify means strengthen or builds up. So two things, tongues is not designed for communication with men. And secondly, it is designed to build us up and to make us strong so that we can live the way God wants us to live, and we can do the things that God wants us to do. Another thing that the Holy Ghost is to do for us is found in John 16, 13. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. So the Spirit comes to us, and we will be able to understand things and receive truths 
that we could not understand without it. The Bible says the carnal mind is enmity against God and cannot receive the things of God because they are spiritually discerned unless we are filled with God's Spirit. The Bible is going to be a foreign language to us. Let me give you an example of this that will really help you understand. In the Old Testament, they had the tabernacle, and God gave the plan for the tabernacle to Moses. And he said, see that you make everything according to the pattern. The reason he wanted him to do that is because that pattern was to be a type and a shadow of New Testament salvation. Well, there were several things to the tabernacle. There was the brazen altar where the blood was shed. That was a type of repentance. That was the first piece of furniture. Then there was the laver where the priest washed. That was a type of baptism. And then there was a veil. And after you went through the veil, there were candlesticks. And you took the fire off of the brazen altar and you carried it with you and you lit the candlesticks. The candlesticks had two things. They had a wick and they had a bowl containing oil. And once you lit the wick, the oil kept the light burning. Now, this was so important because that was the only source of light in the holy place, which is a symbol of the Christian life after we're born again. The candlesticks gave the light. There were no windows, there were no doors, but there were two other pieces of furniture in the holy place. There was the altar of incense and there was the table of shewbread. The altar of incense, the incense went up to God continually, and that was a type of our worship and a type of our prayer. The shewbread was a type of the Word of God. Remember, they that worship the Father must worship Him in spirit and in truth. You had manna, you had quail, you have incense, you have shewbread. And the Lord later on told the woman at the well, the true worshipers must worship the Father in spirit and in truth. So the candlesticks which was a type of the Holy Ghost. That's the Holy Ghost and fire. The candlesticks were to give the light. And no wonder John was talking here and Jesus was actually the one talking. Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth. You haven't even had the candlesticks lit in your life yet. You haven't received the Holy Ghost yet. It's not going to be available until after my death, burial, and resurrection. But when he comes... He will tell you things that I can't even tell you right now. You're not spiritually ready to receive them. You're still in your carnal state. But once you're introduced to the spirit world, and once you have this experience where you speak spirit to spirit, in the spirit you speak mysteries, you speak not unto men but unto God. Once you move into this spiritual dimension, then when the spirit of truth has come, he will lead you and guide you into all truth. The Bible also tells us that the Holy Ghost enables us to call Jesus Lord. 1 Corinthians 12, 3. Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God call, calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can call Jesus Lord but by the Holy Ghost. No man is able to say, that Jesus is Lord, except you have the Holy Ghost. No one is able to keep the will of God and to do the will of God, which means Jesus is your Lord, 
unless you're filled with the Holy Ghost. That's the reason no flesh was justified by the law. Not Moses, not Elijah, not David, not Daniel, not the three Hebrew children, none of them. The Bible says no flesh was justified by the law. Nobody ever kept the law until Jesus Christ came. And here this passage is telling us you won't be able to call Jesus your Lord without the power of the Holy Ghost within you. We can't overcome the world without the power of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost also supernaturally increases our faith. Jude 1.20 tells it this way, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. When you pray in tongues, and you're praying spirit to spirit, everything else is closed out, you're one accord in one place, and you're praying, you know you have been in touch with God. When you come out of that prayer meeting, your faith has been elevated dramatically. So when we are truly in the Spirit, it will greatly increase our faith. And that's the reason the Bible says, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Another thing the Holy Ghost does is to fill us with the love of God. Romans 5, 5 tells us, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. There's something about when you get filled with God's Spirit, it'll take hatred out of your heart. It will make you love everybody. The Bible says love your enemies. Jesus taught us that. And he taught us that before we could do it because the Holy Ghost was not yet given. But the Bible says here that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. There are some people, it just takes a supernatural touch of God upon you to love them because perhaps they are so hateful. But when you are truly filled with the Holy Ghost, it will make you to love everybody. Now, let's talk about for a moment learning to be Spirit-led. In Acts chapter 2, verse 4, it says, And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. Many people think that when you receive the Holy Ghost, that the Holy Ghost will make you speak with other tongues. That's a misunderstanding. That's not true. Notice what the Bible says. It states here, And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. So who began to speak? They did. They spake with tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. When you receive the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost will come on you and you will obey it. I remember when I was one in the Holy Ghost, I was just a young lad of 13. I'd been raised in a Pentecostal church where they believed in the Holy Ghost. But I hadn't received it. And I, I was really confused because sometimes I would pray for it. And it's like it would come on me. You know, the Bible says in the Old Testament, with stammering lips and in another tongue, will he speak to these people? There were times I would pray and my lips would just do this on me. And uh, there were times my language would start getting mixed up and I would start speaking words I didn't understand. Well, I would stop it because I thought that if I could stop it, that meant it was me, not God. And I didn't want anything phony. I wanted the real thing. And so I went on this way for a long time. I actually, at times, would go home after prayer around the altar, and my jaws would be tired. 
And I remember thinking, well, why are my jaws tired? But I didn't know enough about the Holy Ghost to answer the question. I know now. I know now what was happening. The Holy Ghost was on me, gently urging me to obey the will of the Spirit. And I didn't have the faith to obey it. I didn't have the understanding to obey it. And consequently, I was determined I was going to speak in English. And God's Spirit was on me, urging me to obey Him and to speak His language. And so I had a struggle going on. I mean, I could talk, I could talk to my buddies all day long out on the ball field or wherever, and my jaws never got tired, but 15 minutes of prayer and I'd come away. And that always sort of confused me. So when you seek the Holy Spirit, speaking with tongues will be your first lesson in following the will of the Holy Spirit. It's going to come on you and then you're going to obey it. And when you begin to obey it, the Bible says, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. I'll never forget when I received the Holy Ghost, the night I received it, I was so hungry. And I went up to seek the Holy Ghost and somehow, don't ask me how, I knew I was going to receive the Holy Ghost that night. After all the time, I had not received it. And the minister who came along and he saw the Holy Ghost was all over me. And he said, son, you can't speak two languages at the same time. And I don't know what there was about that that unlocked me. But I just didn't care. I was so hungry for God. And he said, I'm going to pray for you. He laid his hands on me and started praying for me. And I don't even remember exactly what happened, except I just sort of busted. I just, I just obeyed. And it came out of me like an artesian well. And I didn't even realize for a little while. I was just talking to God. I didn't even realize I was speaking with tongues. But someone took the church microphone and put it in front of my face and I remember thinking, I was sort of coming back to myself, and I remember thinking, oh, somebody's receiving the Holy Ghost. And then I realized that was my voice. Oh, what a blessing. That was my first experience, certainly not my last. It happens to me every day now. But it's important to realize that the, when you receive the Holy Ghost, that's your first lesson in being Spirit-led. And it's really important that you learn how to be spirit-led. You do have to learn, by the way. Remember in the Old Testament, Samuel had been taken to the house of the Lord and had been dedicated to the service of the Lord. He lived in the house of the Lord after he was weaned from his mother. And he lived there with Eli. Well, at the age of 12, Samuel's lying in bed one night and he hears this voice saying, Samuel. And he thought it was Eli. He jumped out of bed and ran in there and said, Yes, my Lord, what do you want? And Eli said, I didn't call you. Go lay down. So Samuel went back and laid down. In a little bit, here comes the voice again. Samuel, Samuel. And he runs in there and said, uh, What do you want, my Lord, for thou didst call me? And Eli said, No, I didn't call you. But Eli perceived that God was starting to talk to this young man. And he said, The next time you hear that voice, you say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. Well, Samuel went back to bed. Now, this is a 12-year-old boy. And he lies down in bed, and he lays there for a little while, and here it comes again. Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. And God began to talk to Samuel. To be spirit-led is so important. And the Holy Ghost is the only way we can be spirit-led. Notice Romans chapter number 8, verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. The purpose of the Holy Ghost 
is so that we can be spirit-led, not self-led. It's God's will for every single Christian to have the Holy Ghost indwelling them and to truly lead a spirit-led life. The Bible says it's not in man that walks to direct his own steps. Another thing that's so important about the Holy Ghost, it's the key to overcoming sin. Galatians 5.16 tells us, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You know, you can go crazy trying to overcome the tendencies of your flesh. But the goal is not to overcome the flesh. The goal is to walk in the Spirit. If you walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. And so the key to the sin problem is to get so full of God that there's no room left for the sins of this world. And that's another reason the Holy Ghost is so important. Let's look now at some examples of being led by God's Spirit. What are we talking about actually here in practicality? In the book of Acts chapter number 13, verse number 2, there's a time when the apostles had come together and they were praying. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, now this is Acts 13, 2 and 3, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. Now let's, let's bring this into reality. Let's say you and me were there. How's that going to work? The Holy Ghost said, how's the Holy Ghost say something? Did they hear an audible voice? No. They were able to sense the voice of the Spirit within them. Just like Samuel had to learn to hear the voice of God, we as Christians have to learn to hear the voice of God. So they're in this prayer meeting, and the Holy Ghost says, I want Barnabas and Saul to go do a specific missionary journey separate them unto the work I have called them to do. And so they prayed, they fasted, they laid their hands on them, and they sent them away. You know, this should be happening in our churches today because we still have the gift of the Holy Ghost just like they had in those days, and we need to exercise that, and we need to learn to listen to it and become sensitive to it. Let me give you some more examples. In Acts chapter 16, verse 6 through 9, now, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. Notice that. They wanted to preach in Asia and the Holy Ghost said, uh, 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 no, 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 no. How do you know that? Should that be working that way for you and me today? Absolutely. After they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit suffered them not. The Holy Ghost said, no, don't go into Bithynia. Don't do that. And they passing by Mysia came to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. So if he would have gone to Asia or if he would have gone to Bithynia, he would have missed the will of God. Because God had a revival waiting in Macedonia. And because they listened to the voice of the Holy Ghost, then God gave them clear direction and showed them what to do. 
Let me see if I can bring this up into present day circumstances. And if you'll pardon some personal experiences, let me tell you some things that happened in my own life personally. I was very young. I was in my early 20s and I was traveling as an evangelist. And I always believed that God should tell me where to go for my revival. If I went there in his will, that he would work with me, we would have great revival. So I was evangelized, and I had come home to my parents' house on a Monday evening. That was my rest night. We normally had revival Tuesday through Sunday back in those days. And so I was home on Monday evening, and my wife and I were in the front bedroom. Well, I had a dream in the night, and when I woke up, this dream was really vivid. I dreamed that we were in my parents' kitchen, and they had a big black phone there on the kitchen table, and the phone had rung, and they had answered it, and they said, it's for you. They handed me the phone, and they, the big deep voice on the other end said, Brother Baxter, why don't you come and preach me a revival? Well, I'd only met this man once or twice, but he had a very deep and distinctive voice, beautiful singer. And his name was Raymond Parnell from Lafayette, Indiana. And so I said on the phone, in the dream, okay, uh, let me pray about it. We'll see. And I hung up. Well, I get up the next morning, and that dream was like, almost branded on the front of my mind. I thought, God, are you wanting me to go preach a revival for Raymond Parnell? Well, it was time for us to go back to our revival that day, so we got in our car on the way out of town. I told Judy I want to swing by the post office, uh, post office and pick up our mail out of the post office box. So I went in, and we had five or six or seven pieces of mail, and there I am, a young evangelist, 22 years of age probably, and I'm looking through my mail, and I noticed this envelope that says, Raymond E. Parnell, Christ Memorial Temple, Lafayette, Indiana. My hands are almost shaking. I opened it right there. And the letter said, we would like to invite you to come and preach a revival at Christ Memorial Temple, signed Pastor Raymond E. Parnell. So I dreamed the night before, and I get the letter the next morning. And I'm standing there with tears rolling down my face. 22-year-old kid evangelist, but called of God. And I know right then that the eyes of the God of the universe are on me, directing my life. Did we have revival in Lafayette, Indiana? You better believe we did. Incredible revival. All kinds of people getting saved. They got me up in the middle of the night to baptize people that God was dealing with. So it's an example of being led by God. Let me tell you another thing that happened to me just to show you that this doesn't have to be simply an isolated incident. Later on, I was preaching in, La, in Indianapolis, Indiana, and my revival there was coming to a close. I'd had several people call me to come and preach for them next as like the Holy Ghost checked me. It's almost like it happened to the Apostle Paul uh, when he was forbidden to preach in Asia, it's just like, no, 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 that's not the place that you should go. But I kept feeling like I should go preach for John Barley in Hobart, Indiana. Well, he hadn't asked me to come. And I was not in the habit of calling people saying, can I come and preach at your church? And so I went over to the, to the church there in Indianapolis that afternoon. It was a Sunday afternoon, I'll never forget it. And I said, God, I feel like I'm supposed to go preach for John Barley next, but he hasn't called me. If this is your will, you have him call me. Now, I'm, I'm kneeling on my knees in the pastor's office right beside his desk. It was a small office, and the phone rings. 
I didn't even get up off my knees. I just reached over and picked it up. And the voice on the other end said, Brother Baxter, uh, John Barley. I said, yes. He said, can you come and preach me a revival? I said, yes. He said, when? I said, next week. He said, that soon? I said, yes. I was just on my knees praying that you would call me. He said, are you kidding me? He said, this is sort of humorous. You'd have to know John Barley to appreciate this. He said, does that mean I can hear from God too? And I said, well, I suppose it does. Anyway, we went up there. Another great revival. Later on, another incident. Uh, I had gone to preach a one-night meeting. No, no, I was preaching a revival in Muncie, Indiana. And my wife says to me, that revival was sort of drawing to a close. My wife said to me, so where are we going next? And we just went from one revival to another. That was the life we lived at the time. I said, uh, we're going to preach for Glenn Bogue in Bloomington, Indiana. She said, when did he call? I said, he hasn't. When did he ask you? He hasn't asked me. I said, but he'll be calling. Two days later, the phone rings in the little uh, evangelistic quarters where she and I were staying. And uh, she quickly comes over and like sometimes women are wont to do, she wanted to know who was on the phone. And I said, Glenn Bogue. And it was him, the pastor Glenn Bogue calling saying, would you come and preach revival? Now, what am I saying to you? I'm just a normal human being. But if you will walk with God, he will lead your life if you will ask him to. And if you will listen for his voice, he will lead you. That's what the Holy Ghost is for. We're not supposed to be out here defenseless and hopeless. But as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Another example in the Bible, Acts chapter 21, verse 11. And when he was come down to us, uh, speaking of Agabus the prophet, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle, and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. How did Agabus know that? Agabus had the Holy Ghost. He had learned to listen to the voice of the Holy Ghost. You can't know this except by the Holy Ghost. Okay, now let's talk about the key to being spirit-led. The key to being spirit-led is an effective prayer life. If you don't talk with the Lord every day, you will not become familiar with His voice. You know, an accomplished musician, uh, they'll play until they can almost carry on a conversation with you and still play. You and I have trouble with Mary Had a Little Lamb, but an accomplished musician can look around the room and play and talk, carry on a conversation. That, they didn't get that accidentally. They got that because they spent time with their instrument until they and the instrument become one. Well, that's the way you're going to learn to be spirit-led. You say, well, I don't know how to pray that long. The key is you've got to learn that prayer is not presenting a to-do list to God. Prayer is fellowship with God. Do sometimes we talk to Him about need? Yes, we do. But that's not the majority of our prayer life. The majority of our prayer life is walking with him in the garden like Adam and Eve did before they fell. He came, they walked with him, they talked with him. It wasn't a matter of give me this or give me that. 
it was a matter of I love you and they talked about things and they fellowshiped. Well, you can do that. And you say, well, I, I wouldn't know what to say. Well, you, when you begin to speak in tongues, you won't have to worry about what to say. The Bible says that you speak mysteries unto God and no man understands you. Howbeit in the spirit you speak mysteries. And so you develop that affinity for spirituality between you and God. And it's something that's all through the Bible. It's nothing spooky. Now, let's talk about the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Here's where a lot of people miss it. They think that you get the Holy Ghost one time and that's it. And because they think that, they soon lose the touch of God. They receive the night. They were filled with the Holy Ghost and they wonder what happened. They don't know what happened. So it's very important for us to learn about the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Many people don't realize that you don't get a lifetime supply at the initial infilling of the Holy Ghost. This is something that needs to be renewed on an ongoing basis in our life. Now let's look at the scripture that tells us this. Titus chapter 3 verse 5. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by two things. By the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Now the washing of regeneration speaks of when we're born again. The Bible says we must be born of the water and the spirit and we know that you're to repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. It's called being born again or regenerated. But it says here we're saved by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Now this is easy to understand if you'll think of it as fuel in an automobile. You don't get a lifetime amount of fuel when you buy that new car. They may give you one tank full. But guess what? In a few days, you're going to need to pull into a gas station somewhere and refuel because the gasoline is the thing that powers that automobile. The same thing is true in our spiritual lives. We receive the Holy Ghost and we need to be refilled with the Holy Ghost. And we need to understand how often we need to be refilled. In 2 Corinthians 4.16, it tells us how often we need to be refilled. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Remember when Jesus ta taught us how to pray? Give us this day our daily bread. In the Old Testament, the manna fell every day, and they were forbidden from trying to get two days supply. You had to go out every day and get a fresh day's supply of manna. Let me give you another example. The Bible talks about 10 virgins in the Bible. Five wise, five foolish. What was the difference? The five wise took oil in their vessels, but the five foolish failed to take oil. And the Bible says their lamps had gone out. And when the bridegroom came, they didn't have the power of the Holy Ghost to cause them to be raptured at the time of the second coming. That's what the whole parable is talking about. They actually said to the five wise virgins, give us your oil. Our lamps have gone out. The five wise virgins said, we can't do that. You have to get your own. No one can be renewed for us. This is a daily relationship 
with Jesus Christ. And it's not something to be dreaded. It's something to look forward to with anticipation to come and speak with our Creator, our Savior, our Lord, our best friend each day. Though the outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Even in the early church, we have the example in Acts 4.31, where they were refilled with the Holy Ghost. They just had this marvelous outpouring in chapter 2. Here we are in chapter 4, verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken, where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. Now notice that renewal usually takes place during prayer. It can also take place while praying to help others. Or it can be renewed when you're worshiping in a church service, in a spirit-filled church. But most of the time, the renewing of the Holy Ghost happens when you get it just like you did the first time. You get down to pray and you begin to speak with other tongues. The Bible says you edify yourself or you build up or you refill yourself. That's really what it's saying to us. One other thing I really want you to understand about the Holy Ghost. It's the New Testament Sabbath. A lot of people are hung up on, okay, should we observe the Sabbath today like they did in the Old Testament? No, but we should observe the Sabbath. We just don't do it like they did in the Old Testament. The Bible teaches that the Old Testament was types and shadows of New Testament realities. Here's the prophecy about the New Testament Sabbath. Isaiah 28, 11, and 12. For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people, to whom he said, This is the rest, wherewith you may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. When we speak to God and He speaks to us, it produces a tremendous rest. When you are, your brain is disengaged and you're speaking spirit to spirit with God, what a rest it is. So the Old Testament Sabbath was a type of the New Testament rest which we have after we receive the gift of of the Holy Ghost. Uh, let me show you another scripture, Hebrews 4.10, that explains this further. For he that hath entered into his rest hath ceased from his own works as God did from his. When we become spirit-led beings, we quit doing what we're doing 24-7. We no longer live in a 24-hour, one-day-a-week Sabbath, but we now live in a perpetual Sabbath. He that hath entered into this rest has ceased from all of his own works. So we do the will of God on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. We are continually spirit-led and we live within the parameters of God's presence. So we experience the true Sabbath that the Old Testament saints only had a type and a shadow of. Okay. Let's pull it all together here. So now you're born again. Now you're saved. What happens next? Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Remember earlier in this chapter, the Holy Ghost is poured out upon the people. They're baptized. 3,000 were baptized that day. It was an incredible day. But then it says in verse 42 of Acts chapter 2, 
that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers. If you are only born again, but you do not walk in that, you do not go on, you're just now born. You're just getting started. Uh, Some people say, oh, I've been born again. I can just go back to my old life and I'm done with that. That's taken care of. I'll see you in heaven. No, that's not correct. Notice it says they continued steadfastly. They didn't let anything shake them. In number one, the apostles' doctrine. You're going to have to learn what you believe. You're going to have to learn the principles of Christianity. And that's not a drudgery. That's a privilege. You continue in Bible study. So you continue in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship. It will be important that you fellowship with other Christians so that you can learn how to live the Christian life. When you're born again, you're just a newcomer. And now then you have to learn how to live the Christian life. And who you, when you choose your friends, you choose your future. If you're running with the same old people that you ran with before you were born again, you're probably going to get back in the same old habits again. So Apostles' Doctrine, Fellowship, get in a good church that teaches the Apostles' Doctrine. Everybody needs to be in a good church under a God-called preacher. Now, that's really important. There's a lot of churches and there's a lot of preachers, but you need to get in a church that teaches the apostles' doctrine and under a God-called preacher. So they continued in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread. When you take the Lord's Supper, that's a renewal of your baptism. When you partake of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, That's when you're remembering his death. Remember you were baptized into his death and you made a decision at that time that from this point on, Jesus is Lord here, not me. Well, that's what happens when you take communion. You're saying, Jesus is Lord. The Bible says you do show the Lord's death until he come. So apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and then finally, prayers. Develop the habit of daily prayer. It's it's your lifeline. As sure as your daily meals are essential to you, daily prayer and Bible study is essential to you. So develop a habit of prayer. Just as much as you have a habit of brushing your teeth, combing your hair, you need a habit of prayer. Now, I recommend you do it in the morning, if at all possible. But have a set time that you don't violate for anyone. You have a set time of prayer and you say, I'm not available at that time. If someone asks you to go somewhere or do something, you're not available at that time. I personally love to do it first thing in the morning because that way I get a head start on the devil all day long and I have that renewing of the Holy Ghost to power me through the day. And I really recommend that to you. At least a half an hour, if you can do an hour, that'll give you time to really soak in the presence of the Lord. And the other thing is, learn how to pray. If you can get around people that already know how, that'll help you learn quick. But you say, well, how do I don't, you don't want to become a professional prayer anyway. You want to talk to Jesus out of your heart sincerely. You don't need to learn to say phrases or memorize phrases. That's not prayer. Prayer is simply talking to God, walking with Him in the cool of the evening, worshiping Him, loving Him, praising Him, that is what prayer is really all about. So, if you are now born again, if you're not, get that taken care of. If you are born again, these are the four things you continue in. Apostles' doctrine, 
fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. God bless you as you walk in the most wonderful life that you could ever live in. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. This Christian life is the key to happiness. It's the key to eternal life. God bless you as you continue walking in the Holy Ghost and being led by the Spirit of God. All right. What a, what a great lesson to end with. Um, we'll just go right into Do you all have anything? <clears throat> I wrote down quite a bit, actually. Good. Um, there was one thing I wanted to ask about. So there's like this belief um, I've seen on social media a lot where people say that once you've been baptized and everything that evil cannot dwell within you any longer or you can't have any wicked ways within you any longer after you've been baptized and filled with the holy ghost do you believe that to be true that's a person's will they can um, choose to walk the rest of their entire life in christ or not Um, but there's also scripture that talks about people that go a good ways down this path of salvation. They've, they've repented, truthfully repented, but they never really were filled with the Holy Spirit. And it says that those spirits that were swept out, they they have nowhere to go, and they dawdle around a little bit, but they come back with, more. with seven of their friends because mm-hmm. they find this place swept and garnished, and so they come right back in. And you're just, you're that much more worse off than you were. Um, but to kind of go back to more what you're saying, um, I'm not sure if you're asking about a once saved, always saved situation. But there's a lot of different scripture, and there's some in Revelation. Um, I'd have to look it up to be chapter specific, but um, where you can have your name taken out of the Lamb's Book of Life. What do you think that, what would, what would you have to do in order to have that happen? Willful sinning. Willful sinning? In other words, which... Um, Jason Rutherford, this has stuck with me the last couple of weeks, it's been on my mind. Jason Rutherford touched on it a couple of weeks ago, and I believe it was in our Sunday morning Bible, you know, the classroom setting. Mm -hmm. And he said, um, I'd have to look the scripture up, but you can look it up by what I'm getting ready to say, and it'll tell you the scripture. Um, if If you look up the phrase, there remains no more sacrifice. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. So you have taken yourself out from underneath the salvation plan and redemption by willfully sinning, whatever that, you know, lust of the eyes, we've covered that in the last little bit Mm -hmm. um, at church. But um, if you go back to willful sinning, and I'm not saying, you know, you're trying your best and, and, you know, things get thrown in front of us. But if you are doing things that you know better Mm -hmm. and you continue to do those, you, there remains no more sacrifice for you. So you're going to have to go back through. Now you don't have to get, there's no indication in the Bible of 
somebody being rebaptized, but you're going to have to go back and Repent. go through repentance yeah. again. Yes. Okay. Um, and there are indications in Scripture where people can have their name taken out of the Lamb's Book of Life. Now, would you think that something more or less like, say someone had been saved and everything, and then they go and start going on with their will, and then they start sinning, even though they know better, and then they continue to live like that. Would that be something you would assume gets their name taken out of that? And I think that probably happens a lot. <clears throat> that was something I was curious about. And that scripture was uh, Hebrews 10.26. Hebrews 10.26. And read that one more time. It is, For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. And that's something that, I mean, we need to red flag, highlight. Yeah. That's, an, that's an important key scripture in our walk, just to, 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 to think about from time to time. Um, you know, it, if somebody's in church and they're having an affair or a, any, I mean, that's kind of the go-to type sin, but there's a lot of things out there. Um, you know, one of the things that happens sometimes is people, anger will well up in them, and that's not really a, necessarily a willful, you know, that's not necessarily, right. I'm knowingly going and doing that. Mm -hmm. That's something that just kind of comes over somebody. But if you're knowingly doing something, and you know it's not right, and you continue to do or you go ahead and do it or continue to do it, there remains no more sacrifice. And so you're at that moment you're out. Yeah. You need to get back in. Mm -hmm. That is I'm glad we went over that. That was good. Yeah, please highlight that. Um, that is a crucial scripture right there. celebrate Passover. He was talking about how Jesus died the day before Passover and then 50 days after I believe we had Pentecost. We do celebrate the day of Pentecost. Okay. We celebrate the day of Pentecost and that's also switches like celebrating Pentecost or us speaking in tongues and stuff, getting refilled with the Holy Ghost. Our, that's like our Sabbath. Now this is now. where I get in trouble online. Okay. Um, and our church does it, and I probably shouldn't call out our pastor. I don't mean it like, I mean, I do. I do mean it, but it's probably something I should talk to more one-on-one. -on -one. Mm -hmm. um, our church celebrates Easter. Okay. I don't think we should celebrate Easter. Easter is a pagan holiday. It's a pagan, it's something that the pagans tried to, to do everything they can to mix with the Catholic Church in the time mm -hmm. for Resurrection Sunday. Mm -hmm. I think... A true church, a true apostolic doctrine church, should be calling it Resurrection Day. I don't think we should get anywhere near the word Easter. And as a pagan, I want no part of it. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think we should be doing Easter egg hunts because right. that goes back to the fertility God, mm -hmm. which is the pagan holiday of Easter. Mm -hmm. I don't think we should be... You know, you can argue all day long whether or not a church should or shouldn't do Christmas. That's a whole other discussion. I guess it depends on how far they get into it or whatever. Uh, are they dragging a tree inside and doing all the things that Jeremiah talks about? Regardless, to me, there's no. I don't. I don't know that you're much different celebrating Easter at church than you are having your trunk or treat. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. at Halloween time. Mm -hmm. Get rid of that nonsense. I don't think it has any place in the church. Right. That's me. Um, but I also think it's scripture. I don't think we should be messing around with that pagan nonsense. Give it a good swift kick in the backside and send it out the door. We don't need that. Is that what Easter be Passover celebration? Easter is, it's not, you're, we're not celebrating Passover. That would be Passover. That's like on Good Friday or whatever they call it. <coughs> they would have crucified Jesus on a, would it have been a Wednesday or Thursday? Um, I think a Wednesday they would have crucified him. It would have been preparation day. Thursday. But he he arose, he rose from the dead on Sunday. So the day that the day that we celebrate would be the day after they crucified him. Well, no, no, we celebrate the day he rose. He was in the grave three and a half, uh, three and a half days. Yeah. Three, yeah. So the day he rose Is would be the day we celebrate. But Passover would be the day after he died. And is there a reason we don't celebrate that? I think they do. It's called Monday, Thursday. Look up, see what Monday, Thursday is. M-A-U, I think it's M-A-U, isn't it? M-A-U-N-D-Y. But the big celebration is the resurrection. That's... Um... I mean, yeah, it's going to be March 28th of this year, so. Do. What is it? Give us a description for Monday, Thursday. Monday, Thursday, or Holy Thursday, also known as a Great and Holy Thursday. And Thursday of Mysteries and Sheer Thursday. There's lots of names for it. <laughs> is the day during Halloween. Holy Week that commemorates the washing of feet and the and Last Supper of Jesus Christ with the Apostles as described in the Gospels. So it's the Last Supper, but like we're like remembering it on the Passover. I would want to go back and look at the true timeline. I can't trust the Catholic Church on getting everything right because like they'll call it Good Friday. Mm -hmm. And Jesus rose again on Sunday, but that goes against Scripture. Mm -hmm. Scripture says he was in the grave for three days or three and a half days. Mm -hmm. um, you can't get three and a half days from Friday to Sunday. He was... Um, Passover was a, was a high Sabbath. And so there were two Sabbaths that week. So they killed... They can't... They can't um, work on the Sabbath. So they had to kill him on Friday. And he, I was thinking about this earlier when the video first started, and I didn't make a note, so I'm, I'm glad it popped back up in my head. Isn't that funny how there was a couple of times in Scripture where Jesus was in no hurry. It wasn't his time to be killed. <clears throat> there was a time when they were going to throw him off the cliff for making himself like he was God, mm -hmm. the Son of God. And they had... The crowd had pushed him over to the... They were going to throw him off the cliff, kill him. It wasn't his time to die. And it says he m made himself obscure and mingled in through the crowd and made his way out. But then, there's a whole lot of three and a halves in Scripture. 
Christ's ministry was three and a half years. The Antichrist's time of tribulation is three and a half years. That's just ahead of us. Um, the witnesses that Christ will put out will have three and a half years at the same time. The witnesses' bodies, after they're killed, will lay in the streets without being buried for three and a half days. Um, all of this stuff. Christ was in the was in the grave for three and a half days. I think he descended into hell for what three days was it? Anyways, um, and then all of a sudden it came time for that year's the, the year that he had to be crucified. It was time, and all of a sudden he tells his disciples, "We got to get a move on because I have to be there on time." Of course, they didn't exactly know what was going on, but um, he had to be there in time to be the Passover lamb, the sacrificed lamb that takes away the sin of the world. The same God that put the Jewish calendar and the Jewish feasts in place had to fulfill those Jewish feasts. He had to fulfill the law the, to end that testament, to end that will of God and go into the new, the new will. Um, so now all of a sudden, all this feet dragging for three and a half years now we got to hurry, go get me a, an ass, go get it from this guy, and if, if he says, what do you need my donkey for, tell him the Lord needs it. And so, sure enough, the guy asked, they said, the Lord needs it, and he goes, take it. So they, they put Jesus on this donkey or this ass, and they ride him into Jerusalem. That was what we call Palm Sunday. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and he came in as a king on this donkey. And, uh, and within a week, you know, within a few days' time, then um, they were set to crucify him. But I don't know why I got off in that big round circle, you know, but he, when it wasn't his time, it wasn't his time, and he knew. And then all of a sudden, it's, we've got to put the gas pedal down, because i got to get to Jerusalem. I don't remember now what scripture it is I'm thinking of, but it's, it's like, we have to start walking. We have to start getting there because um, I got to get there on time. And his ministry was coming to a close, and he knew it. So um, he drew it out as long as he could. And he's like, "Now we gotta, now we gotta book it." If, if you have an Uber, does anybody have the Uber app? You know, get us a donkey ride into. <laughs> I had um, I remember you saying something about the testament. And it not starting in, uh, what's the first one? Is it Matthew? The first Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh -huh. So it, you're saying it doesn't start until Acts. And then I wondered, I read something in the Bible the other day that went along with what you said, and I didn't know if what you said came out of the Bible or if that was a thought you had on your own. Well, it's a, I, I'm not sure what you read. I read something in Hebrews, and I took a picture of it, and it said, uh, it was <laughs> Hebrews um, chapter 9, verse 16. And it says, New covenant sealed by Christ's blood. It was talking about the covenant and everything we've been Write that about. down for me or something. Send that to so, something. It says, For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. It says that. I've and never then, caught that. 
For a testament is of force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator... Was it testator? Am I saying that right? Mm -hmm. Liveth. And or, that's in Hebrews? Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. True. And I don't know what the rest of it means or if it's... Send that to me somehow. Or I'll write. send it to you. I want that... I want that in my permanent notes. And then... Um, no, I did not know that was there. My... Like, I have a study Bible, so what it said underneath it was the Greek word for testament could mean covenant or last will and testament mm -hmm. and the prior reference to eternal inheritance. So, I just thought that was interesting. But even according to Hebrews, yeah. it doesn't take effect until the testator dies. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. I don't know why I've never caught that. I guess I've glossed over it, unless that's a different translation. It was King James Version. And I've just totally missed it for some reason. Anyway, so, but, but yeah, I mean, and Brother Baxter touched on it in this video. He said, um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are simply the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. He mentioned that here. And in fact, I'll pause for a second and I'll say this. Um, Brother Baxter does a phenomenal Bible study for people that are maybe have been in truth for just a, a, a little bit, or but on the newer side or, or still new. Um, you know, he is our example. There's people that don't go to church or have left church because they got offended by somebody or something somebody did. Um, and sometimes they left because scripture offended them. But, um, that's interesting you said that because I was just pastor uh, recommended that book, The Bait of Satan, and Michelle had a copy of it and she let me borrow it so I can read it. And I was just like, just looking through the pages right now because mm -hmm. I'm on a different book, so I'm going to go to that one next. And one of the things it says is like the one of the first things it goes over is taking offense and how offense can ruin your relationship with God by taking offense to things. And that's Satan's bait to get you to turn away from God. You almost have to, day by day, just assuredly tell yourself, "I'm not going to take a, I'm not going to take offense at things, mm -hmm. even if somebody comes to me and attacks me. I mean, I can walk away from that person. Mm -hmm. I don't have to be offended by it, mm -hmm. and you just be content in who you are. Mm -hmm. But anyways, um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If, if you want to have an example of how to live a Christian life and the qualities and the trademarks of living a Christian life, there's nobody better. I mean, we do have some sometimes some wonderful role models around us and in our church um, and people that are in our lives. <clears throat> but the best role model is Jesus Christ himself. And so... Three semesters of the Jerusalem Prophecy College, there's a total of 12 semesters. Three of them are the life and teachings of Jesus Christ, and he does a deep dive into that three and a half years, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, of what, you know, what we call the New Testament, the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. All of that red letter stuff in Scripture um, and it's 39 weeks 
or 39 lessons, I shouldn't say weeks, because I've, as bad as I would love to put that Bible study on, I don't know how in the world I, I could make it happen, because you're talking about an entire year. By the time you take out a few holidays and this and that, it's a year. It's 50. It'll be, it would be a week. It would be a year. 39 weeks plus Thanksgiving, Christmas, you know, all these holidays, a few people gone for vacation, so you miss. You're, you're, you're at an entire year. Mm -hmm. But it's a phenomenal series. And I can give somebody the password to go in and go through that study. Yeah, it's incredible. Um, and then immediately after that lesson is one of my favorite semesters called Keys to Spiritual Growth. And it's that Second Peter 1. It's a deep 13-week dive into Second Peter chapter 1. If you do these things, if these things be in you and abound, you shall never fall. And so you simply got to get that down into your, into your faith, add temperance, into temperance knowledge and to knowledge, patient, and it goes through this laundry list, and, and it's second, second Peter chapter 1, incredible 13-week keys to spiritual growth lesson, but, so yes, life and teachings of Jesus Christ comes first, and then the New Testament starts, Jesus Christ is crucified, rose again, at that moment in time, because Jesus was resurrected, that gives us the power to be baptized into his death. And so Acts um, is the very first possibility of being, being born again fully, the full, the full born again plan. His spirit wasn't poured out until the day of Pentecost. It wasn't available to the full general population. And you had seen it in the Old Testament a time or two where the Holy Ghost had, had fallen on men and they had written, written some of their, you know, the things that they were told to write that gave us our Bible. All right. So other than that, I think I have... I think I just have one more question, and then I had a few things that just stood out to me. Um, one more question would be, he mentioned something about making sure like your pastor is like a God-called pastor. How do you make sure of that? Because a lot of people claim to be that we could definitely debate. If you yourself are filled with the Holy Ghost, Scripture says, my sheep know me, they know my voice. Mm -hmm. If you are truly linked in with the Holy Ghost, He's going to give you discernment. That will give you discernment to say, what this pastor's preaching doesn't feel right. Mm -hmm. In fact, I think the Holy Spirit would say, you need to come out of her, my people. Mm -hmm. But um, <clears throat> you should be able to tell that your pastor is speaking to God, the first thing would be to make sure that, to know your scripture well enough, to know what he is doing and saying, and um, the life that he lives, and the life that he comes, that he, 
guide you to cross the pulpit with, the type of life the congregation should be living, should line up scripturally. There should be no daylight there at all. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> a lot of that's going to come from knowing your scripture yourself. Scripture says to seek your own salvation. Um, that's going to be a lot of it. If your pastor is not following the apostles' doctrine, that's number one. Mm -hmm. Find another church. The one thing that Revelation talks about, it doesn't say um, if your church is doing something, you should attend more board meetings and have more counseling sessions with the pastor to straighten him out. It says, come out of her, my people, mm -hmm. lest you be partakers of her sins and receivers of her plagues. Mm -hmm. There's going to be a judgment of churches coming. Um, and I can't remember if it was pastor talking about it. Last night, I think it was, where he was talking about um, the heart churches in Revelation, and we've we did a whole lesson on that. Yeah, we did. It was, you know, in this case, it's specifically talking about the churches that changed the mode of baptism and got away from the infilling of the Holy Ghost and that sort of thing. But um, that's a great indication is to make sure that you are grafted into the vine yourself. And you know his voice. And, you know, my sheep know me. They know my voice. And he'll guide you on that. If something doesn't feel right, it probably isn't. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, other than that, I just had a few things that were said that kind of stood out and just some thoughts I had while listening to it that stood out that I thought would be maybe worth mentioning. Um... At one point, he said, you have to get so full of God that there is no room left for sin in this world. Which, that just stood out. That's big, yeah. I thought that was big. Um, he also said, you have to talk to the Lord every day to become familiar with his voice. And that whenever you're talking to him, the fellowship with the Lord. Right. That stood out to me. Sometimes when I'm praying or just talking to God, I'll tell him, I'm like, you know... I just want to have a relationship with you like Adam and Eve had in the Garden of Eden. We're just walking and talking. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I'll just be out walking or I um, used to work for a car dealership and I would go out every day and walk a big circle around the lot just slowly just to have time to uh, by myself, even though I'm at work, by myself to just praise Him and just talk. It's not, hey, I need... Can you, can you do this? And there's a lot of, you know, my, I don't think either one of my kids lined up with Scripture. I know my, my one does not. And that's a big, desi that's a big desire of mine. But God wants, God wants you to pray about that stuff too. But He just wants to, He just wants to commune with His creation. And so it's good to just spend time um, praising his creation just mm -hmm. talking to him just about things you feel and not necessarily needs or wants just communication just like you would a partner mm -hmm. how was your day um, I noticed that beautiful tree over yonder or thank you for the that near miss that happened on the way to work thank you for taking care of me on that mm -hmm. that sort of thing 
and uh, just talking to him. That's that's what he wants. He did that day one back in creation. He would just fellowship every day at the at the end of the day with his creation. I also had, um, they're talking about when they were getting the Holy Ghost, and he said no one can keep and do the will of God and fulfill the will of God without being filled with the Holy Ghost. So I thought that was interesting, and then he was also giving proof, showing, um, that they, they could tell if they were getting filled with the Holy Ghost or not. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of people that go to churches believe they just have it. You get Correct. baptized, you have it. You just have it whenever you start deciding. It's those goosebumps that you get, yeah. And that that's the Holy Ghost and stuff. And, and I don't think, that's the thing that probably confuses me the most. There's lots of people out there that do live very, you know, lives that seem to be pretty good, you know, like good lives, following God, straighten themselves up, really decent, decent human beings out there. They don't follow, like, speaking in tongues. They were never... Tell that same person that they're filthy rags. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Yeah. <clears throat> but, uh, I don't know, I just noticed that, and I wondered if they'd ever been filled with the Holy Ghost. Like, maybe if they were praying one of those days and they broke down and they were crying. That's another form of getting filled with the Holy Ghost. Because I know it's not quite what we have experienced, but I wonder if that'd be any similar. Because you'd think by getting to know them that they do have the Holy Ghost working in their life. Well, it's going to be a, a between them and God kind of a thing. Yeah. But there is no indication in Scripture that anybody received the Holy Ghost by crying. Other than what is laid out in Scripture. Now, sometimes it happened this way. They received the Holy Ghost first. Right. And then, and I've seen that happen. Um, we had a young lady, tattoos up her neck, arms. Very nice young lady. I, I, I think about her a lot, actually. I think she's still in church down there. Um, at the time, was in her 30s. This was just, she's probably still in her 30s. Um, and when it fell on her, I mean, she just... You've seen them where their jaw just, I mean, she just started yeah. speaking in tongues. And when, um, after service, after after the service was done, we um, had her in the baptismal tank. We hadn't, pastor hadn't baptized her yet. And she got in that water and for, I think for five minutes, pastor just let her go on and just speak in tongues and just glorify God. And it was an incredible, I have it on video. It's an incredible experience. It really is. Mm -hmm. Somebody, from my limited experience on that, um, somebody that is so filled with the Holy Ghost, just to let them go. And it's just a wonderful, it's just an incredible thing to witness. And so he just let her stand in that water and just go. And I've got it on video. And then pretty soon he baptized her. And then she continued on. But what an incredible, um, beautiful uh, soul. Just a Wonderful young lady. I, think, I hope she's still doing well. I think it's incredible that whenever people do get the Holy Ghost and get baptized and stuff, it's not even just such an amazing experience for them. Because, like, I remember when I got the Holy Ghost whenever I got baptized and stuff, like, that's something that's always going to be stuck in my mind. Like, that's mm -hmm. always going to be a huge moment in my life mm -hmm. that just one of the most peaceful, most beautiful moments of my entire life. 
that moment is so beautiful and amazing for that person, but also everyone watching. You yeah. know, everyone watching feels it, and it's just an amazing moment. Anytime you see somebody get the Holy Ghost or get baptized, the and angels celebrate when that happens. Yeah, I think it's absolutely incredible. There's a cookie over there for you. <clears throat> I had one last thing to say that just kept like sticking out in my mind while uh, this was going on, and it was just advice, I guess, more than anything. Yeah. Learn to quit trying to figure it out and instead take your time, take the time you previously spent worrying and replace it by using that time to listen instead of worrying, just listening. And whenever you take time to listen, I feel like you hear God a lot more. Just sitting back, kind of being quiet and not trying to figure it out anymore. Good. Pick up a lot. That's good stuff. Good advice. Well, I don't have a whole lot to add news-wise. Um, there's just a bunch of nonsense going on. Nothing um, definitive. So we're going to go ahead and close out this 2023-2024 uh, Bible study series for Understanding the End Time. And then we finished it up with the Salvation Package. I thank you all so much for following, on, following us on this journey. I'm sorry my voice never fully came back from the last week or so. But uh, thank you for following us again on this journey as we do this every so often from time to time. It's a big commitment. There's a lot that happens in a person's life in 18 weeks by the time you add a couple of holidays in 20, 21, 22 weeks. So um, it's a good part of a half a year. So thank you for journeying with us. And we'll announce it again when it's time to start it back up. And God bless you. And we will see you uh, soon on our regular videos. Good night.